I think you can hear them from the other side if you want to. I know they're constantly giving signs, but you just have to be open to it and want to hear it and believe it. Because we always doubt ourselves like, oh, I hear a voice, but it's not real. It's just, it's so external. Like whatever happens, it's, it, it feels external and we focus on that so much. But I realized I really do have the control of I don't have to feel this way if I don't want to. Like X happened, but I don't have to feel this way. And I calm myself. I'm like, all right, it's done. Like that's that's what it is. It's here. It's there now. Yeah. And I can just kind of like breathe and I feel good. But the control we have to overcome whatever the hell bullshit we're going through, we have a lot more than we think. We can't control out there so much. Well, we can only control how we react. Exactly. That's the only thing we and can control. And I know control. people say that and it feels like a crock of shit, but it's actually true. It's like, it's only, there's so much craziness that goes on in our minds that we start spinning these stories that aren't even accurate. They're not even close to accurate. So we're getting ourselves all riled up for nothing. And it's just, it's we're torturing ourselves. So I'm trying to untorture myself. It's like, all right, everything will work itself out. I'm not going to sit and put energy into focusing on things that might possibly, but are probably not going to happen. Yeah. And even when the things do happen, I mean, I still like worry about it then, but even when it's happening, at that point, you still kind of like can't drive yourself crazy because it, it happened. And it's like, you can drive yourself through a wall. Just, I mean, I, I think there's a fine balance between overwhelming yourself with guilt or whatever you're feeling, whatever feelings you're going through mm-hmm. and just like accepting it and say, okay, this is what it is. How can I find the solution, improve or learn from it? But I feel like you don't have to learn through pain. No. Sometimes. I mean, I think sometimes that's how we learn is through pain. Yeah. We have to feel this pain for, um, I was just speaking about this with my daughter, about how you kind of have to get uncomfortable for change to happen. Otherwise, if your things are all super cool, there's no really a need to change. So sometimes you need to feel really uncomfortable with a situation to get to another situation that's going to be more positive. But you really do need to feel that yucky, ew, this feels uncomfortable. Yeah, that discomfort. Yes. Discomfort discomfort. is growth. Absolutely. So, Christina, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, I, 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 this beautiful I, house. Yeah, it's not so bad. Yeah. It's not mine. It's, not, it's pretty great. It yeah. is today. It is right now. <laughs> it is. I'll, 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 I'll tell my client. It is, uh, he'll, yeah. For now, for the next hour. Yeah, he'll, it's f- he'll find that really amusing. Yeah, I'm sure. So I, I would love if you introduce yourself and kind of rather you give uh, an introduction of who you are so I don't butcher it. And then we'll kind of get into the main reason why we're here. Okay. So my name is Christina Flack. I am the creator and founder of Pretty Girl Makeup. I am the mother of five. I am, um, let's see what else, a celebrity makeup artist. Mm -hmm. And I speak about grieving in a positive way. I am also a sepsis awareness advocate. I was married to Ken Flack. He was the number one tennis player in the world with his partner, Rob Seguso. And he passed away four years ago from sepsis. So since then, I have been trying to raise awareness for people to know what the signs of sepsis are so they don't have the same result my family had. Got it. I love that. And as we briefly spoke about, you're kind of doing it on your own accord. You're not exactly associated with anything specific? No. I mean, the Sepsis Alliance contacted me after he died and asked if I'd be willing to raise awareness, of them use his image. And I said, yes. It was just kind of part of my grieving. I thought it would be a positive thing to do. Uh, and so that's kind of how it started. And since then, I don't really have contact with Sepsis Alliance, but I always tell people when I'm on these podcasts to go to sepsis.org and scroll down. There's a little box that says time, and time is T is for temperature. You can be hot or cold. 
eyes for infection in some place in your body, M is for mental decline. It's kind of hard to rouse them because it's starting to affect their mind. And E is for excruciating pain. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, I'm not even, I wasn't honestly familiar with sepsis until I you know, learned a little bit about your story. So what is the short version? I mean, you just went through it with time right there a little bit about yes. the feel, but what, what exactly is sepsis? Sepsis is an infection of the blood that attacks all your vital organs. So you could have an infection, uh, you know, a cut on your hand or in your mouth. Uh, Ken had bronchitis that turned into pneumonia. He wasn't treated by his doctors at Kaiser Permanente. And so there was, there's a, wi- a golden window that you can be treated and survive with an IV antibiotic. And unfortunately, his doctors chose not to see him. And then they, over the phone, prescribed uh, cough medicine with codeine and an inhaler, no antibiotic to counter the infection. So cough medicine with codeine, we all think, oh, that's great. I'm going to have that and sleep. It's going to be fantastic. It's incredibly dangerous if you have an infection in some place in your body because it slows your breathing down to the point where an infection will just grow like a wildfire. And that's what happened with Ken. Is it just random or how do you get this infection? Like how does sepsis actually occur? Is there anything? Well, it just kind of starts with, you know, some infection in your body. Mm -hmm. So if you have, you know, an infected tooth or um, something is your immune system's down, it it, it will just attack and it will shut all your vital organs down and you die very quickly and very, in a very ugly way. His arms and legs turn black, all his organs shut down. And this was, let's just say it started on a Wednesday when we called Thursday, I rushed him to the emergency. Thursday morning, you know, within an hour of that, so 16 hours after the initial phone call, he was on life support and never regained consciousness. And so on Monday, four days later, his arms and legs were black. They told me they'd have to amputate if he he survived. I knew that if he couldn't go golf or pick up a beer, that he would figure a way to murder me. And there was no way for him to live life. And so, you know, his children and I sadly had to take him off life support. Yeah, you just answered my next question. I was curious how the time, it's so quick. You know, I feel like you don't have time to register. No, it's, it's crazy. Like you just can't even believe it. And then you're in such shock because it's like, wait, he's really gone. He's not coming back. It's hard to believe because he was such a huge personality. Yeah, I mean, if he's any resemblance of you. Oh, you, are you, you kidding? I was a, <laughs> the, I was the subdued one. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, well, I mean, it's nice to see you laugh in, in conversations like this, to be honest. But what? so what is, I mean, I want to go through a lot. I would love to cover. Ask the, away. You know, yeah, <laughs> so I might be all over the place. But before we kind of get into the depths of, you know, more sepsis awareness, I think the innate conversation does that. But when you deal with a death like that, that's so abrupt and, you know, unexpected, obviously there's sometimes people have an idea if they're sick, but that just happened so quickly. At what point does it really hit you? Like, obviously you, it's a kind of chaotic in the beginning where you're not really quote unquote dealing with it, where you're just trying to like move pieces around to like handle it now. Or at what point did you really feel the grief? No, oh, that's such a good, it's, it's so weird because it's kind of in stages. Like right. at first you're seeing them suffer and you want it to end and then it ends And you're like, no, 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 come back. And you have to walk away from your person that's laying there dead. And it's really weird. And you're driving home, like, it's like, you know, you're going home to bed and nothing's the same. And I think I remember feeling like, I just want to feel normal. I just want to feel normal because I felt so off. Like I, I just, everything was so crazy. And I, 
my agent called and she's like, what can I do? And I said, just book me a job, book me a shoot. I don't care who, where, what, I don't even care if they pay me just because that's always my happy place. So I thought as soon as I get on set, I'll be fine and I'll feel, I'll I'll feel normal for a minute. And then I, I went and did a shoot seven days after he passed and I was far from fine. And I had to figure out like what I thought was my normal no longer exists. And so I had to figure out what my new normal was. And that took some time. It really did. And then it was like, I remember, so kind of what I speak about now is like, okay, so how do you deal with the beginning stages of grief? Well, you try not to get too hungry, too tired. You need to work out. You need to think of things you're grateful for because at that point you just hate everything in the world and you can't sleep because the person that puts you to sleep isn't there. And you're so, you know, everything is worse, I think, when you're tired. Yeah. Right? Like everything is just like catastrophic. And then you sleep and you wake up and you're like, it's not, well, it's not so bad. But I mean, that obviously was. But so I really learned, you know, my son Bo passed away in 2008. And so, you know, by the time Ken died, I really was a tad more prepared. I, I couldn't go down that dark hole. My kids had already lost their brother. Their dad and I got divorced. Ken and I got married. And my kids were so attached to Ken. They adored him. So it was really, really hard. So I just thought, I have to keep it together because they, you know, if I'm a mess, they're going to be a mess. And I, they've suffered enough. And so that was really what kept me in, on track. I got extra disciplined, even though I already really am. I woke up. I worked out every day, sometimes twice. I made sure I ate. I made sure I rested. And then my daughter came home from London And I was in my office and I was like wanting to murder everyone. I was so furious. And she's like, mommy, you have to be grateful for having Ken in your life at all. After Bo died, you were such a mess. He made you laugh. He made all of us so happy. You have to just be grateful for that time. And and that really helped kind of put me in, in perspective because, you know, we think God gives us people in our life and we think we're entitled to a million years. And that's not the case. We're entitled to whatever the universe thinks we're entitled to, and that's it. So you have a choice. You can be grateful for that time or you can just be pissed at the world. And I, it's foreign to me to be in a bad mood and not that I'm not, not that I'm not sad or depressed. Of course I am, but that doesn't feel good to me. And it doesn't feel good to me that, it, you know, that my kids are seeing this. I want them to have a happy, loving life. I mean, they saw the ups and downs and all arounds of, you know, my grieving, but they've also seen my strength and my dignity and my grace dealing it as best I can, especially dealing, you know, with someone like Ken, it was very public. The Indian Wells, you know, the ATP, the Tennis Association, they were all so amazing. You know, it was all over the news. It was in the New York Times. It's, it wasn't a normal death. It was very public. And in some ways, that's fantastic. And then other ways, not so much because, you know, people are kind of looking at you. The ATP was amazing. They did a, a year after he passed, they did a Ken Flack golf tournament at Indian Wells. And Ken was a golf freak. He was obsessed. And the year before he passed, he had shot a 67. Oh, Christ. Yeah, no, he's like the shit. I just shot an 82 and I thought I was excited. And you, and you thought you were the shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 you know. In but, so anyway, they did this uh, tournament for all the players and ex-players. And so I went and gave out the trophy. And then, you know, in front of 20,000 people, they had this 
beautiful video of his career. And it was just like, I didn't realize it was going to hit me so hard. And just, it's just like every you know, 20,000 people are looking at it, which is so great that they're honoring him, but it just, you feel exposed and it's a weird feeling. So d- dealing with that kind of grief is different. It's different than being a little more private. Yes. Yeah, the the public aspect makes it different. And I mean, I, similar to not similar, but I get the idea of the public light because your situation was pretty public. Yeah, too. but yours is it's different because I was I was sharing that with so many other people. Yours is when you when it's in the public light and it's personal, that's way more focused. So it's not the same. Yeah. Um, but I, I I'm, I'm my point of bringing that up is I see the you know the benefits and also you know the disadvantages sometimes of having something so public. So I can't relate to you in, in many ways, but I, I see you there, and especially the waves that you explained it because it seemed like you handled it so well, then sometimes emotions would come up, but I love that you said it's a choice. And it's another thing we were kind of talking about with the shit I'm going through right. in regards to, um, it is a choice. It is a perspective. Like you can be overwhelmed in it or you can just hit that switch and change your perspective and the gratitude that your daughter. You it- have to have, gra- I think, gra- you know, when you turn, you know, everything is a blessing. We just don't always know it. Even the bullshit is a blessing. Even the bullshit. Because sometimes we think something's happening to us, but it's happening for you. I just learned that. And I say it again. It's like, no, it isn't happening for you. It is not happening to you. Sometimes we think, oh my gosh, this person I love is doing this awful stuff to me. Well, maybe that person isn't supposed to be in your life. Right. Uh, Maybe, you know, the situation at work is making me have to make a choice to do something else. So- you have to, if, if you look at life that way, it's a lot gentler. It's just not so, if you, you're not a victim. Right. And I think happiness is definitely a choice. You know, you can wake up in a good mood or you can wake up in a bad mood and you can look at things like, you know, you and I are very similar that way. Like something ridiculous is happening and we're going to make a joke about it. Yeah. Because it's how we, that's our weird humor mm-hmm. that we have and in common. And I don't know, I can turn anything into a joke. Same. Right? To my like detriment. today, my son's playing in a golf tournament in Los Angeles. And, you know, proud mommy moment. I go to the golf tournament and I see him and he's like basically in pajamas. And I, I, I looked at my daughter who was his caddy and I'm like, what the actual F is going on? Why is he in that getup? And she's like, uh, his suitcase was stolen out of the car and he has no clothes. And I'm like, <laughs> so my son is in this fancy golf tournament and he looks homeless. So it's yeah. fantastic. I'm I mean, so get, proud mommy moment. I mean, <laughs> he, he, and it's cool. It's cool. We're, we're, you know, honoring your husband. He ends up wearing his clothes. And he's wearing his, his yes, Ken shirt. There we a go. A St. Louis Cardinal shirt, which was his pride and joy. So about two years before Ken died, I had been on a list to meet, to meet with this clairvoyant in, in Northern California. And nothing in, about nothing in particular. Ken was still alive. And uh, my agent had called and said, hey, you've got a job with Gucci. And I said, okay, well, Gucci wins. And uh, <laughs> always Gucci wins. <laughs> I was going to say always. And so uh, I said, Ken, why don't you go speak with this lady? Because we've been on this list for a year. Like, go talk to her and, you know, I'm going to Gucci. So anyway, he went. And he was, you know, he was such a good sport. He was open to it. And his mom had passed a few years ago before then. And he... On the drive up there, he said, okay, mom, you know, if this lady's real, we need to have a sign. So it'll be Tiger, because she would always call him her little tiger. And so he got to this lady's house and then he came home and he was always making jokes about everything. And he goes, you know, only my wife finds a witch that lives on a vineyard in a mansion who's beautiful. There's no warts. She doesn't live in a shack. And 
she's so nice. And he said, yeah, I went in there because I didn't tell her I was sending him because you never know. You just think. So she, he saw that she moved some like stone and, and he said, oh, what, what's that? She said, oh, well, that amethyst was for your wife, which is really ironic because that's my birthstone. She goes, spirit's telling me to put a tiger, tiger's eye. And he's like, oh my gosh. Huh. So anyway, it was this great story. Yeah. He, had, he came home and he was so into it. And, you know, his mom came through, my mom, all these people. And then, so after he died, his voice was so, because he wasn't supposed to die. So I don't know what happens, but I think sometimes when you're not supposed to die, you get a little grace period to keep talking to your people so everyone doesn't lose their mind. But right after he died, I could hear him so clearly telling me, you need to call Cindy Clifton. And I'm, I mean, the last thing I'm thinking about is Cindy Clifton, this clairvoyant. I'm like, what? Like, she takes it, you're like, why, why, why am I gonna do this? And he's like, you have to, you have. I'm like, okay. So I email, call this lady. I have friends do it. Miraculously, she gets me in in a few days. And she said, you know, and I, it was pretty wild because how often does she have someone that's a client pass? And so, so that was interesting. She said, oh my gosh, you know, he's as funny as he was on the other side as he was in life. And <laughs> he said, oh, wait till you meet my wife. She's so amazing. She goes, I, you, I can't wait till you, she goes, he woke me up telling me how great you were. I said, that's because I'm so pissed at him for dying. <laughs> I love it. And so um, she said, you know, he was just saying like, this wasn't supposed to happen. But back to the golf, he, it, I didn't tell her my kids golf. And she said, he wants you to know he is going to be with those kids, the boys, every golf hole. And they need to listen to him when he tells them, use that club or hit this way. They need to listen. So I told my sons, if you hear a voice and it's him, you know, do it. And they're like, mom, you're batshit crazy, okay? You know, we saw, we feel sorry for you, but you need to, you're like headed to the loony bin. <laughs> and so I'm just like, just be open, just be open. Mm -hmm. So anyway, a few days later, my son Nikolai, Mr. Homeless, um, is calls me and he goes, you're not gonna believe this. I was going to play golf and I had given him one of Ken's, uh, like David German bracelets. And he said, I was gonna take it off because I don't wanna ruin it. And I heard Ken say to me, keep it on, buddy. And he goes, all right, fine. I'm going to listen to my wacko mother, leave on the bracelet. He went to go hit off the first tee. It was a par five, up a cliff. It was like the hole's like elevated. There's a, it's just insane par five. Hole in one. Hole in one. On a par five? Yeah. Bam. And so he goes, I think you're right. I believe it now. I said, okay, oh, now I'm not so crazy. Hmm. Oh, my gosh. The best caddy in the world. Best caddy in the world. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think you can hear them from the other side if you want to. They're, I, I know they're constantly giving signs, but you just have to be open to it and want to hear it and believe it. Because we always doubt ourselves like, oh, I hear a voice, but it's not real. Yeah, I've, I've heard actually exactly. I've heard Did you have that experience? Something in like the clear, like on the other side and kind of thing. Like yeah. Connected. Um, I mean, not that deeply. No, we've, we've seen some people like mediums and stuff like that. If that's, you know, kind of, I don't know about, I don't have any personal like, as intense as that. I don't have my dad. Oh, I have so many my things. My dad hasn't told me to grab a seven iron, but he, he, wasn't, he wasn't much of a golfer. Uh. So if anything, it's more baseball, but I've had people on my podcast that, uh, you know, connect to the other side and, and have said similar to what you say is that we all have the ability to do that. It's a matter of, I mean, there's many reasons I think, but one of them was 
being open to it and really being willing. And I think that relates to your belief. I think the belief factor also is a really big yes. say in that. If you really believe in it or not, you know, because you don't, you might be blocking that out. Yeah, I think so. I think it's because people just think they're crazy and I don't. And it's funny, like sometimes like when I hear him trying to talk to me, it's really, it's fast. He's speaking really fast. And I'm like, okay, slow down. I can't get all that Is in this, my head. Have you had this experience any time prior in your life or just with No. Weird. No, only with him. But my husband and I had a like a really strong connection. And so, you know, I, we always, I, it was so funny. We were married eight years, but it was always like, I got to tell you one more thing. Every night I'm like, I got to tell you one more thing. That's so be- it's like, beautiful. now he's like, I got to, and I'm like, I got to, I need to talk to you. <laughs> that's that's kind of wild, first of all, but is it comforting? Does that make you more sad? Does it make you happier? Sometimes, sometimes it's like, it's comforting. And then other times if I'm tired or I'm upset about something, I'm pissed off. Um, I'm like, God damn it. Why aren't you here? Hmm. Um, and then other times it's like nice, like, you know, he'll reassure me things, but it, I, right after he died. So he died on March 12th and then our wedding anniversary was March 31st. And so I had been hired to do makeup for this wedding on, on my anniversary and my husband had just died. I mean, it doesn't get much. I'm like, I need, yeah. I, I did it. So I went to do this makeup. My assistant came with me and there's like 12 girls in the room. And I said, look, make me a cup of tea turn on some happy music. I'm going to paint away. It's going to be all fine. So I'm painting this girl's, all these women. And then, you know, it's just pinks on, Christina Aguilera, just like Beyonce, just chill music. And then all of a sudden, Celine Dion comes on with Titanic. And I'm like... I mean, that's a tearjerker. I know. I'm like, of course this comes on because Ken always said our love was titanical. Oh, wow. So, and and, and they're like quiet. I'm like, I start crying. And they're like we don't know how this song's playing. We hate Celine Dion and it's not on the playlist. What? And I, I start crying because I knew my husband like was giving that to me as a gift. That, I mean, that's kind of unexplainable if the other person's are saying, how did this get on? And I had 12 people in the room. They would have like a Tupac playlist and Celine Dion comes yes. on kind of it's thing. It's pretty much like that. Jesus. So I had a lot. Oh, and then like the haunting of the house. He, haunting? Oh yeah. He would like lights would go on and off. Oh, when, when it first happened, my daughter was in her bedroom and Ken would wake up in the morning and turn on the golf channel, go to bed, the golf, it was all about the golf channel. Wait, the TV, what do you mean? The TV would just turn on? No, no, he would just like that when he was alive, he oh, would watch okay, the golf okay. channel. So then my daughter was like watching Housewives or something. And she's like, mom, get in here. I'm like, what's wrong? She goes, I'm watching Housewives. And all of a sudden it goes to the golf channel and freezes. I'm like, unbelievable. This guy's dead and he's still <laughs> dicking around with the control. He's still got the flicker and controlling it. I love how that's your attitude with it. So many people would be freaked out. Or no, like, I'm like irritated. Yeah. I'm like, stop it. <laughs> or, you know, I, you know I have, I've had this, this boyfriend for like two and a half years, right? And I swear Ken picked him because they both have a tattoo. Ken's favorite thing was uh, like a bald eagle. This guy has a tattoo on his shoulder. And they're the only two people I've ever met in my entire life that squirt toothpaste in their mouth to brush their teeth. <laughs> I don't know any other two. Those two. It's interesting that you said that because the guy, the guy my mom has been with um, for the last, it's been a, quite some time, I don't know, 10, 12 years. She, she kind of mentioned something of the sort of um, feeling like 
my dad kind of placed him in her yeah. life. And I think in one of the mediums we saw kind of like alluded to that. I forget the verbiage. Uh-huh. But kind of said like, he's here for you. Yeah. And because, you know, I think Ken, I just want no surprise. He's in my life. He's fantastic. And my His mom's- His name's Ken? Yeah. And my mom's so happy. So it's he's been a blessing in our life. That's awesome. And um, I feel like there was parts of him that kind of like completed the whole cycle in the sense that he offers things that- Maybe my mom even needed in a weird yeah, sense. Right. So it's just, and I've heard that say that in regards to the experiences that we had, that it feels like he was brought into our life. So similar to what you were saying. Right. Um, I'm kind of going a little sidetracked here, but you, you remind me so much of the way you handle things in that while it happened of my own mother. Cause she, like, for instance, when, when it all happened, we were back in school in like a week. And I don't think, you said something in the story you want my kids to be normal and not like have it uh, affect them, I guess, in a certain way. I don't know well, if that's Well, I just didn't want them to be, you know, their brother died on Christmas Day already. Right. And, and, and you know, Ken died. It was just, I was trying to keep things as normal as possible. Right. And then that's what I'm saying. My, my mom kind of did that. She didn't want, in lack of a better word, she didn't want us to get fucked up from it. Right. And so- More than like, you already were. Right. And just like kind of like, get going, but not in a sense of like blocking it, like don't feel this, don't feel yeah, that. Yeah, no, just, like, just you got to keep moving. Th- the world keeps spinning type right. thing. And she tried to, you know, shoulder a lot of the burden of being unaffected. And then I'm sure behind, and then like behind closed doors, you know, she would let it all out to like be a soldier for her kids. Right. And I, I just saw a similarity, like you wanted to keep going to be a representative for your family almost. Well, so. I mean, again, it's just a choice of how, you know, you don't really want you to see your kids see you drunk Right. Pilled out, you yeah. know, like just a wreck. Happens all it the time. It affects them. So, but again, that would be a choice and I'm unwilling to make that. That would be me giving up. It's not like they don't see me get emotional and cry and be sad. I mean, I do it a lot, probably more than they even would prefer I didn't. <laughs> but um, they're just like, oh, there she goes. They've always seen me conduct myself at a high level. I haven't behaved inappropriately Maybe at a golf tournament, I'm a little annoying. I'll scream when he hits a good shot. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I, I, you know, I haven't gone off the deep end. And because out of respect to Ken, I, I want to, I, I feel like you can honor your loved one in a positive way. I don't think being the grieving widow with the black veil and being miserable and angry and hating life is because I, I was on a hike one day alone and I heard him in my head saying, it's really hard for me to look down on you laying in bed at night crying and I can't comfort you the way I normally would. And I can hear him right now just saying really naughty things. So I'm like, really? Do you want to get a third mic? Yeah, I'm like, oh my God, here we go. He's like, he's like, you know what? Be quiet. I'll tell the story. And when I thought of it from that perspective, how would I feel if I was looking down on him and my kids and I couldn't comfort them and they were always sad? And so it's not honoring them. So what I try to do is be positive. I do things the raising awareness for sepsis to help others. I have gotten so much feedback from people. Oh my God, you saved my husband's life. One of my really dearest friends now, her husband had sepsis. She, I didn't even know her. She saw an interview, sent me a note on Facebook, which I never check, but I miraculously did. And I told her, get to the hospital. And we got it in the nick of time and, and he saved his life. So I, And I've gotten so many emails and phone calls from people saying, I had no idea what sepsis was. I tell people about it. You say like, like I, I get feedback positive all the time. So, so the, what, what are the what are the? I mean, I don't know if you were getting to it or if you said it already. I apologize, but what are the first telltale signs that you said to go to the hospital? Like, what what, what if where, you where have like a fever? If you're either hot or really cold? If you don't, you know how you know how you feel when you have the flu? Yes. Okay, it's not that. 
it's like mag, it's like a thousand times worse. So if you know you're just feeling really not right, you have a fever, hot or cold, you have an infection somewhere, you're in a lot of pain, your head's not all there, get to the hospital, get a blood test. They can determine it quickly. They'll put you on an IV antibiotic and you'll survive. But if you don't, you know, sepsis isn't one of those, it's not like the cold. Oh, you know what? If I feel really crappy tomorrow, I'll go. There's not a tomorrow. There are no tomorrows. So it's better be safe than sorry. Is it, is it easier to tell because sometimes you just have a fever? Is it very different? Like you'll know? It's just, it's just I think, more of the, the pain you're in. Okay. You're in pain. You know, you're in excruciating pain. So if you can get to the hospital. So I started um, a garden for my son, Bo, at the Edna McGuire School in Mill Valley, California. It's an outdoor classroom. There's a garden, there's fruit trees, there's chickens. And I am, it's really, my big passion is education and nutrition. And if we can get kids to, from kindergarten through fifth grade, to be planting seeds and picking their lettuce and doing science experiments or learning to cook, with fresh vegetables and fruits, they're going to be more inclined to eat well throughout their life. And then at the Northern Lights School in Oakland, I set up a Ken Flack educational fund and a Baby Bow educational fund because it's for minority kids that can't go to private school and it's a great private school. So I feel that, you know, that's a way of making change in the world, setting up these foundations. So my son, Ben, Bo's twin, has been playing in this golf tournament, celebrity golf tournament. Um, Vita Blue puts it on with all these athletes from the Bay Area. The Warriors, the Giants, everywhere, the Sharks, they're all supporting this school. And Ben has raised over $100,000 in the last five years. In oh, wow. last October, he raised $36,000 um, playing golf. And that meant three kids go to private school for a year. So that changes lives and families and communities and trickling down the, the world. And so... I also think it's really great that my kids have all participated in the school, the garden, because I feel like if they're doing that from a young age, they're going to always know to give back. It's not just because Ken was in our life because he was famous, but especially because he was. You can't just get free tickets to Wimbledon and and all these perks. You have to give back because we have a platform, because people like you are willing to speak to me because of who he was. So I think it's really important. I'm so proud of my kids for being able to be, it's just something they do. They don't know any different. So I feel really good about that. Take a little bit of credit, you know? <laughs> you instilled a lot. That's true. I yeah. try. Yeah. I try. Yeah. And it's, uh, when you said earlier how uh, not being the victim of this ex so-and-so happened not to you, for you. I feel like it's such a challenge for when, especially when you lose someone to like have that angle, like how is this happening? How is a death of someone happening for you? And is, I guess like for someone, especially in the midst of it, that's not exactly gotten through it yet. I don't know if we ever get through it, but I think that's a very hard thing to conceptualize, like to not feel like a victim and say, how, how is this? How do you lose someone and it's for you? But I feel like, I don't want to answer the question, but the, all these things that you're doing from it, are, you know, a gift in itself, I right. guess. But but how do you, what, what is your answer to that for someone I don't, going through you know, it? it's funny. If something happened to one of my kids, well, one, something did happen to one of my kids. One of my kids died. So I don't think that was, you know, you don't, you, I don't think you can compare that, but you can choose how you want to deal with it. You Certainly not at the beginning. You're too angry and scared and sad. But as time goes on, Ken being gone, I have grown in ways I couldn't have grown. So I guess that's the blessing. Him not being gone is the blessing. 
me being able to, I am a makeup artist. I like being behind the camera. This four years ago, I would have been trembling. You know, I'm not, I wasn't comfortable to do that. And now I can sit and make jokes with you and I'm not even looking at that. Um, so if I, the blessing is for the world that I am able to rate, be a sepsis awareness advocate and help people grieve in a positive way and not feel guilty. It's okay to love again. Doesn't mean you don't didn't love that person. They also say like when someone dies, you know, a lot of times you see people like that had really great marriages get back into different relationships very quickly or get remarried very quickly because that's their normal. And it's, it's how the, I don't, I probably was a lot more judgmental before, like how people deal with their grief. You know, my dad, my mom died when I was young and then my dad got married to a a woman like a year later. And back then I was just like, are you kidding? Like, I, I thought it was awful, but he was just trying to find his normal. And so it's so easy for everyone that hasn't lost their person to judge how we're behaving and what we're doing. We're just trying to figure it out, our new normal. So I just think, you know, you can, for me, the blessing has been that I have helped all these kids with an education, that I've raised awareness for sepsis, and that I've been able, in my little way, to help people to grieve in a gentler, softer way that they don't have to feel. They People think that they're Respect. They're they're honoring their loved one by being angry and sad and not loving again. It's ridiculous. It makes no sense if you think about it. Yeah, and I think uh, what you said, especially with the marriage, the falling in love afterwards, that has like a weird stigma to it too. But at the end of the day, it's you know a lot of people don't know what they're going through. They don't know the details of their life. You don't. It's easy to judge someone, and there's no rules to it. I, I posted something about um, a celebrity that kind of lost his wife, and he married like a year later and the internet is just ruthless and just like so many people are commenting oh he married a year later like what an asshole I'm like wait the ju- the judgment is like it's it's kind of sickening when people judge to that level you just don't you don't know like you, you know said, what it's like you don't know and like how great that he found someone right that's like, that's, like, that's, you know that's the perspective of right it, but see that's me because I'm that I, I'm the person that lost someone hmm. so it's not easy to find someone someone that gets you and that smells right and makes you laugh it's it's not easy. And so when you do, see, I'm like now, like, wh- what are you waiting for? Don't waste time. Oh, you don't need to date seven years before you live together or get married. Like, love the hell out of that person and enjoy it. You don't know how long you get. So I'm a little different in my thinking because a little of my trauma is that, you know, anytime I leave someone I love, I'm like, I love you so much. Like, I have a little post-traumatic shock of from that. So I'm a little bit like that. But it was interesting. I, I did a show actually here in LA and it was with some psychologists and they were saying, you know, it's very interesting with you. Stop saying you have post-traumatic shock. You've actually had a lot of post-traumatic growth. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting thing that I had not heard of, but I think it's true. It makes a lot of sense how it could be confused because it's so different. So maybe it just feels like stress. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, the stress is still there, but also you can choose to grow from these experiences. I think I've grown so much. I am so much braver and stronger and tougher than I ever could have imagined. I heard this Whitney Houston song, I Didn't Know My Own Strength. Hmm. And I heard that, I'm like, oh my God, that's so me. I had no idea how 
fucking tough I was. And and that's the that's why it's so nice to hear you say that. And hopefully anyone that's listening that's maybe going through it now, they may not see that. And I always think about it like I've heard this analogy somewhere. It's like driving through the fog. I feel like when you're driving mm-hmm. through the fog, you only see 40 feet in front of you and you're following the road, this and that. I feel like sometimes that's kind of going through that's going through trauma and grief because in the moment you can't really see too far ahead of you and what's gonna be there, but you kind of like You take can't it, see the light. You can't see the light. You're just driving yeah. through the fog, but eventually it's gonna open up. So I'm sure maybe when you were going through it. I mean, maybe you're different. I don't know. You seem so positive and energetic that I don't know if you had this vision for yourself. If you fast forwarded three, four years, that you would be here. It's like in the moment, it's so chaotic. You don't. It's hard to exceed like, the positivity. It's so funny. Like I'm sitting here right now, and I'm thinking of a time like back then, how I was. I could never have imagined I'd be here, like exactly. doing this. And I remember I was on a shoot not too long after Ken died, and I was really just quiet. I was doing my job just like I always do, but I wasn't my bubbly, you know, self. And I was working for Mark and Graham. It's like a Williams-Sonoma company. And they always had music playing. And this one song came out and I go, I like that song. And they're like, keep playing it. They kept playing that song over and over because the song made me happy. So it was funny, like music was something that was really helpful to me. I found like positive songs or I don't know. I don't remember what they, every song would touch me differently, but I do remember some music would really give me comfort and give me strength when I just was like, ugh. You gotta latch onto that. Yeah, I mean, taking from you, it seems like, you know, realizing it, your happiness is a choice, the perspective you look at it, the gratitude, it all kind of blends and taking care of yourself. Um, there's just so much there. And I love hearing you sharing this story because I'm, like I said, I think there's so many people that are in it now and to speak to someone like you and people that I've had on my show that are, they're in a better place and it, right. and it, and it sticks with you, but- it's nice to see someone that's maybe fast forwarded to where someone is right now. And even if you're not, even if you didn't lose someone, these are all lessons that you can apply to any situation. Well, I mean, there's grief, there can be loss and grief in any way of your life. You could lose a job, you could lose your dog. I mean, there's constant loss and constant change. It's how we choose again to deal with it. And some, you know, I know I sound like, oh, I'm so positive and happy all the time. I, I believe me, I have my moments and days where I'm crying and I'm sad but you know what? I'm really in a great place in my life now. I'm really happy. My kids are all great. I love my career. I have this person that I just love. He drives me crazy a lot, but I love him. And um, it's a great place to be in life. It's great to feel like not in control of life, just content with how life is, like just grateful. Like I was today, I flew down to LA and saw my son and my daughter playing golf. And it was like, and then I come here and this beautiful house and you and I are having this great chat. And, you know, I, life's great, but I've made it great. You know, you have to create the life you want. You have to create your new normal. I think that would be the biggest thing. Don't think you're going to ever go back to what was normal. You're going to create a new normal and you can make it better. And it's okay. It doesn't mean like it's disrespecting your old normal but you can have a great new normal. Yeah, it all evolves. So right. If, and it, we're all going to change no matter how we do it. But you, so you can't control life, but you could control your attitude and your perspective and inside a little bit. Absolutely. I love how you said that even though you're happy, life still ebbs and flows. I feel like people would say, I need to be happy all the time. It's not. You're it's not. not and I just think with life, the one thing I've learned, there's just going to be constant change. There's going to be good change. There's going to be bad change. There's going to be great change. There's going to be some that just sucks shit. And you just have to go, you know, my daughter, she, we came down to LA. She's a fashion designer and she was having a really bad day before we came down. And I'm like, sweetie, this is just a minute. 
I know you're tired. Like, and we went through, you're hungry, you're tired, you're, all these things. And the next day she's like in these meetings and she's killing it. And I go, 24 hours ago, you thought the world was over and look how great everything is. So just remember that. Remember the highs, but then remember the lows. So when you're in the low, just remember the high is going to come back. Yeah. You're not going to just stay in that low. I think finding that sweet spot is still it's name It's balance. nice to like, you know, have that middle. Yeah, the middle is hard to, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, I think it's easier said than done, but it takes work. It just takes a little bit of effort and discipline. Discipline is big. I'm still, like I said, I'm still figuring out, but I'm, I'm learning the control of my men- mentality of when shit goes up or down to kind of like, you, you know, you, breathing you is a big thing for me. I do meditation. I do this meditation app when I go to bed, when I wake up, I do this calm app. I listen mm. to Jay Shetty. He has like a seven minute little motivation thing I do every day. And calm, you know, the daily calm, I really helps sometimes when I just take a minute and just do a little meditation, just, it doesn't need to be an hour. It's five minutes yeah. just to calm, just to get myself back on track and calm down. I, you have to learn to self-soothe. That's yes. one thing I have to self-soothe. That breathing, breathing is incredible. I, I, oh my gosh. I, I took massive deep breaths Do you know how many, how much breath, how we hold our breath? We don't even realize how we're holding our breath sometimes. I know. <sighs> take a minute and breathe it out. Yeah, it's it's, it's just a simple test. Anyway, I, I like I said, I took like a hundred breaths this morning. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised I have oxygen left. Oh. Um, but it's uh, it's a pleasure to have shared this with you. Thank I, you I don't for know having me. Of course, I don't know if there's any last minute drops or plugs you want to mention about what you got going on or anything specific to sepsis, this, that, or the other. But. You know, go to sepsis.org if you want to learn more about it. Uh, if you want to see my makeup company, it is prettygirlmakeup.com. And if you want to see my portfolio, it is Christina Flack. Perfect. I'll put all the links at the bottom of the episode and people can find you more. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. You're lovely. I feel better talking to you. I'm so glad. 